Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Para Podcast. It's just a small crew this week of uh, me, your temporary host, 4020, and joining me as the co-host is my good mate, Birdie. Yeah, it's just me and you, mate. You got the uh, the two amigos under the, you know, <laughs> under the pump here because we've got no Hamish, no ham, and we're on a short turnaround to Thursday Night Football. Whoa, 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 whoa. You said co-host. That's the first, that's a that's a big, you know, big step for me, man. Usually I'm the I'm the guy chiming in with some, you know, shithousery comments or something, but. Yeah, you're getting, you're getting thrown into the hot seat this week, the co-host, but uh, you've stepped up to, uh, to do it with Hamish before in the past and done a tremendous job. So going to have a lot of fun breaking down a, a pretty huge action or huge set of action from the uh, Saturday that we had just passed in round 23 of the NRL New South Wales Cup and Jersey Flag plus the launch of the NRLW, plus a look at what lies ahead with the Eels playing on the short turnaround up in Brisbane this week. So let's dive into the results from the weekend, Bertie. We'll start with the NRL as we all want to do on the Para Podcast. It was the by far and away the best result of the weekend for the Eels. Uh, Eels needed to bounce back from that ugly loss for South Sydney. They did it in, I'm not sure if I can say style, Bertie, but it was pretty comprehensive, 42-6 to six for the Parramatta Eels. Dogs' lone try scorer was Aaron Shop in the 28th minute when Wanga sort of got a little bit discombobulated on the goal line. They missed that the conversion and added a penalty goal via Matt Burton before. Uh, but for the Eels, Will Penasini started the scoring in the 10th minute. Wanga Blake was following him. Follow, sorry, Wanga Blake followed him, who was then followed by Mike Acevo in the first half. Second half saw Ryan Madison kick off the scoring then Tom Opacic was too strong and too powerful down that left edge. Dylan Brown bagged the double before Wonga Blake completed his own double, touching down the 78th minute. Mitch Moses was five from eight, but he hit the uprights twice. Very unlucky off the kicking tee in this particular game. In terms of team stats, Bertie will quickly run through them. Uh, Eels, as you could imagine, given the scoreline, up in possession, 54% to Canterbury's 46. Time of possession, over three minutes in Parramatta's favour. Only completed at 73%, so not terrible, but not amazing by any metrics. But as you'd imagine, ahead in all key attacking stats, uh, we got 160 more post-contact meters, 10 line breaks to four, 30 tackle breaks to 13, average set distance just about five meters in Parramatta's favor. Uh, play to ball speed, it was fractionally faster than the Bulldogs, 3.86 seconds to 3.88 for the blue and white. Uh, in terms of defense, Eels defended at 86.65% effective tackle rate, the Canterbury's 85.19. Uh, in terms of missed tackles and ineffective tackles, we had... 43 combined, which is okay. That usually sort of points towards an okay defensive performance. 14 errors, though. So, you know, we did not play anywhere near perfect football. Considered five penalties to Canterbury's four. Two ruck infringements for the Eels to Canterbury's two inside 10 metres. So the six agains were split evenly there. And Parramatta used their full complement of interchanges. Where do you want to start this one, Bertie? Because the scoreline obviously points towards a huge Parramatta victory. Ironically, it wasn't even that big a victory in the context of round 23 where it was just blowout city. We saw 60, 70 points put on uh, with regularity. But considering how we played against the South Sydney Rabbitohs a week before, are you happy with how the Eels got back on the bike? Oh, yeah, to a degree. Like, we, we went after them. We chased them. Like, this. Like you look at what Murata did to TPJ. Like, uh, when we first first the Bulldogs, TPJ was like the enforcer. Yeah, he didn't even do anything good in terms of the numbers, but he clearly disrupted the Parramatta Eels in round 14. And oh, was... and that's just through defense. Like, he'll just get into your face. So we pretty much did a TPJ on him because yeah. every time he caught it, Murata was there. Like, Murata, you can t- finally, Brad Arthur has, I don't know what he said, but he got them to fire up, you know? Like, we, as I said, I said in the podcast, I think after the Souths game, 
When's the last time we've showed aggression in defense? Was it Junior Paulo's um, tackle on AJ? Yeah, Harrison? we were talking like, about that, wasn't it? Where that's felt like certainly we've had okay defensive performances since that game, as well as some bad ones. But that was the last time there was some real aggression in a hit. And yeah, putting Marada into the starting team proved to be an inspired choice. He came out, set a tone against the Canterbury Bulldogs pack, including Tavita Pangai Jr. And it probably continues that upwards trend of Murata we've seen in the last couple of weeks, which is very encouraging given that the finals are just around the corner. Well, he had 19... T- look at NRL.com stats. He had 19 tackles, uh, zero miss, but one ineffective. And I'm sure about 10 of them are probably on TPJ. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. he... Every, every, and this wasn't like anything illegal or dirty. He was just getting off the just line real football. quick. Yep. And this is where, like, we've been saying, what's wrong with the Parramatta? Like, I feel as though... Our defense, our front, our initial contact is weak, and I and I've been harsh on Reed because he usually the dummy half leads the line. Like you look at every other dummy half, like Upi Coruscant, yeah, brilliant dummy half. He he leg, legs tackles a lot of them, and that stops the momentum. But it's, it felt like with him and Paul Vaughan, they they made it personal, you know. And that's all. I, that's all I wanted to show aggression in defense. We haven't had that even when, like Nathan Brown was in the team. Like he used to do it, but it's like. Like we, we're ferocious with ball in hand, and we like to run through them, right? But when it comes to defense, which is much more harder, we just take a step, a backward step, and it was just good to see that. And like, it was, and, yeah, the first you know, time in a while, but the attitude was there, wasn't it? That they, they were hungry, oh, they wanted to put their opponents on their backs. And like forty-two-six says, we flogged them in the flashy game. I don't think it was flashy. I think it was just um, brutal. Like we we pounded them to submission, and then literally just finished off soft tries in the end toward like just backline moves. If that makes sense, like we didn't mm-hmm. do much. There's a couple kicks, but other than that, it wasn't like a fancy game. It was a brutal game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it was physical. I think we chased the collision. That's a term you hear the coaches talk about a lot, and it showed. You know, Canterbury buckled under the weight of our intensity. Um, you know, one player that I suppose you wouldn't say played ultra-physical given the nature of his position, but we saw the return of Mitchell Moses, and, geez, he looked sharp working in combination with Dylan Brown. 100% it's his team, and... Look, and I said, in, I said in the Discord, like whatever he wants, you got to pay it because he comes in right, and he just knows what kick to do or when to like. Because like usually people will say, oh, all he has is a long boot, but those two tries to Dylan Brown, like great, you don't usually kick it towards down. a fullback, yeah, but yeah. that instinct and like um, they got great chemistry and whatever you want him to do, like whatever he wants, you just got to pay. And because like who else, who else does what he does? Like you can probably say Nathan Cleary. You know, well, he runs I've, a I've got bit him more. As, a, as a top two or three halfback in the competition. And oh, 100%. You, you can't let those guys walk. That That is how you get, you know, consigned back to mediocrity. Same thing. And like, and I've been, it's the same thing with the coach. Like, you don't get rid of a coach. And I know it's, I'm saying hypocritical. I wanted Brad Arthur gone four <laughs> Look, weeks ago. It's, it's, the nature, it's the nature of sports. You know, it is a results-driven business. And when you have a, like mm-hmm. a downturn, it is easy to, you know, lash out like that. But like, like we've said in the podcast before, you know, if the Eels do make a decision to move on from Brad Arthur, they've got to make sure that they've got a guy that is an upgrade. Because, you know, look at the NRL, there are so many mediocre coaches going around that it's easy for a club to go from a good coach to an awful coach. And, you know, the Eels obviously want to be good or great when it comes to who's in charge. So, yeah, that that's represented in Mitchell Moses too. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about him, you know, going to test his value on the open market. I don't think there's much the Eels can do there because that's well within a player's right to do that. And I expect he'd give the Eels the last right of reply to any offer he gets. So I think, I mean, you got to look at, you got to look at Munster's doing right now. Yeah, Munster's exactly. Look, look how prolonged his saga has been, whereas Mitch, in his entire time with the Eels, has always conducted his business in a highly professional manner. You know, there's, mm. you know, never let it play out in the media, always done the right thing as, a, you know, for himself and for the club. So I expect that to hold true through the next set of negotiations. So, 
Yeah, I, I imagine the club's made provisions to keep both him and Dylan Brown because the, you look at the way our roster is constructed, it is, you know, the sort of the classic Melbourne Storm structure where we're going to invest heavily into our core playmakers, got some strong forwards, and then we're going to supplement them with, you know, the best of our juniors, find some diamonds in the rough, and otherwise use role players, guys that can do a job, you know, in a limited capacity to a, a reasonable degree. So, yeah, in terms of the halves, I'm, I'm okay there. I mentioned him in the sort of the write-up before, Bernie, but Tom Opicic had a cracking game. He had spiders on him. He had seven tackle breaks, 132 metres, was tormenting the Canterbury defensive line. He's, he's a weird one. Like, I, like he's he's kind of vanilla in attack, but defence is very solid. And besides that, that stupid strip he did last week, he's very <laughs> solid defence. Not many people barge over him or he, he breaks a tackle, if that makes sense. He hangs on for mm-hmm. dear life. And... You know, it's just the old adage thing, you know, get your defense right and your offense will come off it. And he was very solid in attack. Um, you know, he could tell it like, I didn't realize how big he is. Like, he's very, like, someone said he's up close to 100 kilos, maybe. Like, that's, you know, it's pretty yeah, decent. The, the modern NRL like, player, small. it's one of those ones you see him, they're like, yeah, they're not that big. And then you see him and he's mm-hmm. like, up close, like, all right. Yeah, they're, they're pretty big. So, well, well compared to Sivo and Wonga Blake, everyone's yeah. going to look small, yeah, potentially. Well, so. uh, Mike and Sivo, obviously, he's just a ball of muscle. He had another very good game, so it's good to see him continuing his strong return from that knee injury from 2021. Uh, just looking for the rest of the team here, Bertie, Sean Lane, excellent again. I thought Reg, Ryan Madison, we already mentioned Murata, they were all outstanding through the middle. Oregon Kafusi off the bench. He continues to have a nice little run of form, and that's going to be important for the Parramatta Reels in the finals because we've spoken about at length on the podcast. We, we, we know we've got great starters in the forward pack, Junior Barlow, Regan Campbell-Gillard, Ryan Madison, or Murata Niakoro, depending on who's playing lock forward. You know, that, that rotation middle is excellent, but the bench hasn't been, you know, exactly juiced up this year. But I think that, you know, he's trending in the right direction ahead of the finals. It's amazing. Um, like we, the, when I think of Kafusi, I think of drop balls or errors, and when he doesn't have any of them, he plays a good game. He's actually, he's actually a pretty has- handy player, yeah. So, um, yeah, he's doing a good job there. And, you know, looked at the spine, Quentin Gufferson, you know, not spectacular, but did his job. And the other one that, you know, in the same vein, I thought Reed that was probably one of his more consistent performances this year. He didn't get in the way of his playmakers. Uh, you know, he defended well, ran the show nicely. And, you know, everything else went like clockwork, and it was just really encouraging to see that. Yeah, one thing I did notice, well, I didn't notice it live, but going back and watching the highlights, mm-hmm. we targeted Matt Burden in defense a lot. Like, you look at um, Papa Lee oh, had a break where he literally, he, he, we targeted his weak defense. He likes to jersey yep. grab or arm 100%. grab, and I think he had like probably like three or four line breaks on him. So we targeted him specifically in, um, in yeah, defense. Five, which was five good. missed tackles, one ineffective birdie. So we went after him big time, and he and was found wanting. He didn't do any monster bombs. No, that, that was, was like the other thing that we, we probably need to touch on is that while I don't think the kick chase or the kick pressure on him was outstanding, there was always someone coming in on him, preventing him from taking that extra step, that extra half second to set up that monster torpedo bomb. And as a result, he had to go to the end over ends and Quentin Gufferson, Mike Acevo and Wanga Blake did a good job defusing him. Yeah, that, that, and that's like... Um, because like he terrorised us and everyone talks about he's got the, big, the greatest kicking game ever because he just, you know, he's just bombs it that's it but we hardly noticed anything from him if anything um the only one we noticed was probably was the dummy half that's it really like, King. yeah that's that's all we really like i noticed in terms of uh, attacking wise because we were fielding the kicks with ease there was no pressure on us um we hardly pull kick pressure but you know our centers and wingers you know they were catching the ball with ease um other than that i thought it was a good game uh from young will i thought like he didn't yep. force the issue or force an error it's kind of like and Ridmay didn't overplay his hand. Like, you look at the first try, 
like why why is Wonga Blake in and going for the ball and he's on the and he's on the wing? So that's like good situational awareness because you know everyone gets tempted when the ball goes there. Like it's like beast to the honeypot. Like he just <laughs> he, he stayed out wide, kept his width, and perfect pass from Guffo. Then the second, then the try he sets up for Wonga Blake. You know draws his man, and passes it. So he's showing a, some high IQ um, football there from Young Will. Only you know he's only what 15, 20 games into his career. So yeah, yeah. very very young into that career and. For for a while, it looked like he was having a little bit of a second-year slump, but it looks like he's emerging from whatever it was, whether you consider it a slump or not. And, you know, much like some of these other players we've just spoken about, as much as the team's been inconsistent, there are signs that they might be, you know, peaking or starting the peak at the right time of the year. So we can only, you know, keep our fingers crossed and hope that carries through for the next two rounds into the finals. But the li- the win, uh, does it lift the Eels in the fifth or keep them in fifth? Well, anyway, we finished around in fifth place, with our 14th win of the season on 30 points. Still chasing the Melbourne Storm birdie because they absolutely demolished our opponents in the upcoming game in the Brisbane Broncos. Was it uh, was it 60 to 60 to 12 for that game? Uh, yeah, because uh, only Roosters had 70 points. That's but... right. Yeah, it was – I'll just backpedal one second here. Melbourne Storm yeah, – but... It's a blessing because, like, we don't want them to get ahead of us, but they did us a favour in terms of Brisbane because Brisbane had, like, they were our nearest person in terms of for and against and knocked them for for a peg. Yeah, yeah. so we're now uh, 43 points clear of the Broncos on for and against, as well as the two competition points. Yeah, and and obviously we're chasing the storm when it comes to that top four position, and we require the Roosters to now beat them this coming game, and then we win all our remaining two games, the Broncos and the Melbourne Storm themselves. Uh, but that should probably wrap up the NRL review. But anything else you want to say? I, I just I, when I was speaking to sixties in the preview for this, I was you know we were, we were all on both podcasts really upset with what we saw against the South Sydney Rabbitohs, and I said to him, I want the boys to come out and you know physically dominate this team and win in the vicinity of forty to ten, and they they played right into that ballpark forty two six forty two yeah forty two six is an excellent you know bounce back result. Yeah, I'm not. It's it's hard because like. I want to say we're back. You know, we're, we're oh, back. It, it's a good response <laughs> yeah, because it's, it, it's a step, but you got to make sure we convert that into a, a proper run now. Oh yeah, because like as I said, it wasn't a flashy win. Like it didn't. It's not like as if Bronk, uh, sorry, Bulldogs, um, pretty much had errors and gave us the win. We had to work hard. We worked hard on defense and offense. Sorry, running the ball, and that's what helped us, and that's what we need because uh, with that, that game plan we have, where we're bashing them in defense and we're running hard, like no one can pretty much. Uh, like you know, compete with us. So yeah. it was good to that we won that. If we had, if we had like just thrown it around from you know, play one and scored easy tries, you know, from knock ons from them, kind of like how Bulldogs beat us the first time, it would be like a false sense of um, you know, confidence. But yeah. this one, we we pretty much demolished it. So it's like a brutality. We would talk about the errors, the amount of errors Eels made at the start of the the review. But I suppose the silver lining to that is that we were tasked with a lot of goal line defense in the second half. Because we kept turning the ball over, coming off our goal line, we, you know, Wonga Blake had a really bad offload when he was getting driven back in our red zone, uh, and we managed to, you know, turn the dogs back time and time again. So it wasn't like Canary didn't have chances to score in a blowout here. They had opportunities, but the Eels defended strongly, which is a good step forwards. But like you said, Bertie, we, we just after what we've seen this year, we cannot get ahead of ourselves. Our boys need to make sure that they take this win and turn it into some real momentum with the games against Brisbane and then the Melbourne Storm. Hundred percent, and it's it's and like you know the Bulldogs have a decent pack, you know, and it was just good to stand up and you know stamp our authority on them. And you know, I'm just happy the fans uh, they finally went to a day game and we haven't had one of them for a while, and they pretty much repaid the faith to the fans, so that's good. Yes, and how good was Saturday afternoon footy? We can talk about that another time. Let's move on 
chronologically to the well, equal first game of the Saturday, but this was the one that didn't take place out at Combank Stadium. So I don't think anyone saw this unless you were a parent of one of the kids in the Jersey flag. Unfortunately, the Parramatta Eels went down 18-10 to 10 to the Canterbury Bulldogs. Uh, Dogs scored via Jonathan Sewer, Lapoy Hopoy, uh, Fami Tolalo, and then Bowie Hayward kicked two from three for the try conversions, but also added a penalty goal. Eels try scorers, Arthur Stephen and Corey Fenning. Corey Fenning adding one from two off the kicking tee. Yeah, I, I can't provide any insight to this one this week. Neither myself, nor Hamish, nor even 60s were out there because it was a triple header at Combank. We already knew that these boys were out there running for a finish in the postseason, and unfortunately they couldn't finish uh, the second last game of the season with a win, which means they've got one last game this week because the Cup and the Flag finish a week before the NRL, Birdie. And that'll wrap up the Flag for this week. On to the New South Wales Cup. This was the first game of the triple header at Combank. Unfortunately, the Parramatta Eels did fall in this game 19-16. to It was a potential top four shootout for the Eels. It was 5v3 coming into this game on the ladder. And if I just look at the ladder now, it remains 5v3 because of the way the seedings work. But with the North Sydney Bears winning, the Bulldogs beating the Eels, the Parramatta Eels can no longer make the top four in the New South Wales Cup. But the news this week was that it's not even that much of a concern because it's the top five. So there is no benefit to finishing top four outside, you know, in, in a normal top eight. But what it does mean is that the Eels do have to win in the upcoming game. We'll talk about that later if they go, if they want to make the finals. But in this game, Bertie, uh, for the Dogs, Declan Casey, Matt Dury and Curtis Moran scoring. Brandon Wakeham, two from three for try conversions, added a penalty goal and a field goal. So some important kicking from him. The Dogs did have one player in the sim bin. The Eels had one player sent off in Wera McGregor. Try scorers for the Eels, Hayes Perham, Dan Keir, Sean Russell, Jordan Rankin, two from three from his kicking attempts. And yeah, this is one that the Eels are probably going to look back and regret. Uh, it was very fast, very attacking football. The dogs seem to do this to us. Last time we played them, the game opens up a lot. They, you know, they throw the ball around, really aggressive in attack. And the nineteen sixteen scoring doesn't suggest a lot of attacking football, but it felt end to end on what I could see from the telly because I was over in the leagues club at the uh, players reunion. Yeah, look, it's the typical New South Wales Cup um, game where it was like fast, you know, a lot of you know, a lot of open open play, you know. Um, quite a bit of uh, broken tackles and line breaks. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it just seems like whoever scored last would win. And I thought we'll, we're going to get them towards the yeah, end. Yeah, so did I. Now, well, now the send off look just just send Simbin because what's the difference between Simbin and send off? It's the seventy second minute. I don't know if it, if it has implications on um, Winamu with his suspensions or not. But it's well, just... usually uh, in in the old point system in NRL, if you actually got sent off, I think you got like a point reduction per every minute that you missed. In a game, which I always thought was really weird. So, yeah, I don't think in the New South Wales Cup it makes a difference. And I believe that he has copped at least a one-week suspension because he's not named this week. But, yeah, this game, you know, frustrating. It was very back and forth. Eels had the ascendancy early but couldn't capitalise. Yeah, I I don't know, Bertie. Like, they're they're probably still going to make the finals because they play a pretty lowly-seeded team in the Newcastle Knights this week. But, you know, upsets can certainly happen. And the fact that they spilt the beans here means that they you know, put themselves in a vulnerable position. So, yeah, uh, probably notable things out of this, Big Solomon and Iduki, he got his head in the wrong spot early in the game and he was uh, ruled out via concussion and he's going to be out for a while now too on the sidelines. And then outside of that, just trying to pick who, who was a real standout here. You know, the forward pack toiled away, but the opportunities weren't there for him. And, you know, just the, the, the Eels need to figure out how to play the Bulldogs in the finals because this is a matchup they're probably going to have to take, whether it's week one or week two. And... You know, the I wouldn't say they got the woodenness because it's you know it was a one good win, one tight win, 
but the way that we play football against them just it, it seems to cause some issues for us. Like the South Sydney, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely not as bad as the South Sydney one, but it, there, there is something there right now. The dogs seem to just you know play with a little bit of reckless abandon, and then we we struggle to go with it. But you know, it, it didn't you know cost them their finals campaign. They still have opportunity to seal the deal against Newcastle in the last game in this coming week. But yeah, that'll put a wrap on the New South Wales Cup, which brings us to the second game of that triple header at Combank, the launch of the NRLW. Parramatta Eels hosting the reigning premiers in the Sydney Roosters, and the reigning premier sure played like uh, sure played like a birdie, thirty eight to sixteen victors over the Blue and Gold. Uh, for them, it was uh, Jamie Freesard opening the scoring. She would add a double later in the game. Isabel Kelly getting a double of her own. Jess Sergis, Olivia Koenig, Shania Power, and Leanne Tafua all scoring eight try scorers, but only three conversions. Zahara Tamara going three from eight off the tee. For the Eels, Sally Malangi, Samima Taufa, and Vanessa Foliaki. Our try scorers, Brooke Morgan Walker going two from three. And yeah, this this was a an interesting, I wouldn't say a wake-up call, Birdie, because you know obviously these players are preparing as hard as they can. But I suppose it let the Eels know what the standard is to win a premiership in this competition because the Roosters were outstanding, very physical through the middle, lightning quick down the edges. They took pretty much all their opportunities and controlled the ball and field position so well. Yeah, you, you could tell like you could tell one team's been around since the inception of the competition and mm-hmm. the others, you know, it's their first year essentially. Um, you know, the Roosters kind of like they scored out wide. They they knew well, that's what they had to do. That they just the sheep you know, fed the ball across their back line and they scored easy yeah, tries. Yeah, just Sam Bremner, Jess Surgis and Isabel Kelly just carved us up out wide. I mean, you look at that, like, like they're pretty much playing for New South Wales, you know, Queensland and even Australia, like, mm-hmm. and we've got a fairly young team when you look at it. And, um, you know, I thought, um, you know, I thought, our, you know, our forwards did well. They did their best, you know, and I'm not disrespecting them, but clearly um, they're like a level below what the Roosters have. I thought Gal Broad, and she was very good defensively. Like she, yeah, she, you could tell she plays. She's she's a she's an athlete. Like I'm not disrespecting the women. I'm just saying you can tell she's has experience. She's just grown up being playing, an athlete. As, yeah, sports. being an athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like her, even her tackling technique. Like she almost pulled off that try saver for their first try. Yeah, she she, she knew it. it was literally a matter of centimeters in terms of getting keeping that ball up. She did a fantastic job. Yeah, she's very. She's got that like fantastic blend of just raw strength for her frame. Like she's not a huge unit. She plays fullback, mm. but pound for pound, she's very strong and and great agility and explosiveness. And that's probably the one area that I was frustrated in is that the Eels did a great job setting up that big backline shift with the crash balls to the back rollers. And they were, you know, courageous lines, tough carries, and the the Roosters were starting to commit defensively to it, but they never went out the back to Gail Broughton and used her speed and and sort of. Uh, footwork to exploit the compressed defense. So that was frustrating, but it was positive signs in that regard. They showed that they can play some good, tough football, but at the same time, the Roosters dominated them with line speed on both sides of the ball. The Eels got very passive defensively. The Roosters cashed in on it. And on the flip side, the Roosters were very aggressive in defense, forcing the Eels to you know have to work hard to rock it out. So a lot of important football lessons learned here by the girls. The question is, can they get the answers implemented with just seven-day turnaround in a five-week regular season. So keen to see how that plays out. Uh, some good players in the game for us, I thought. Captain Samama Taufer at Lockford, rough and tumble as always. I thought off the bench, Kennedy Cherrington was very good. She came in, brought a lot of energy. She's got a bit of grubbiness too about get, uh, can, oh, yeah. can, can unsettle the opposition, which, you know, one of those players you love to play with, hate to play against, uh, did a good job there. And, yeah, this is just 
this is a team you can see the potential like the young halfback i think she's 18 or 19 years old lasana lutu she looked very calm out there very poised even with the roosters rushing into her she was always in control of her passes and kicks and i think that she's going to be a player that could flourish you know as the season wears on and into next year if we can keep her so yeah i'm, I'm not too disheartened but you know in saying that you sort of take on the roosters get beaten now you've got to take on the saint george or dragons who are probably the second most impressive team on the week so some hard lessons to be learned by our girls we've got to learn them very quickly yeah, well, we had we hardly had any ball there for one stage. We'll just it oh, seemed yeah. like yeah, between we'll just, possession and territory, we're absolutely starved and penned into our own half. So, very very tough inception into the twenty twenty two NRL competition. But we always knew it was going to be that way, given the Roosters are who they are, the reigning premiers. They had, they brought back I think ten players from that premiership winning team. So it's not like they had a whole amount, a, a huge chunk of roster turnover, and had to build from the bottom up again. This is a team of winners they're going to hit the ground running. So the question for our girls is what can they learn from it and how can how quickly can they employ it? So look forward to that next week. And that wraps up all of our reviews from the round that was, Bertie. Let's move on to the NRL news. And a big one for Parramatta this week. It, sort of, it went from whisper to confirmed very, very quickly. But the Eels have added a new assistant coach. And it's uh, one that's going to be interesting to see what the fan reaction is because he's had – amazing plaudits as an assistant but has struggled as a head coach but uh, from 2023 onwards for two years the Eels are picking up Trent Barrett and he's going to add a lot of uh, attacking chops you'd think Bertie given he was lauded as one of the key men behind the big resurgence at Penrith uh, with their attack so what do you think about that? But as you said, it was very quick. Like, you know, by the time I heard about it, like, it was pretty much confirmed. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. I went, I went from, yeah, the Eels are meeting with Trent Barrett about a potential deal. Uh, announcement, Trent Barrett's here for two years. So, and, and it's kind of weird because, like, you'd think that will be announced um, in the off-season, but, like, uh, you know, straight away. And apparently he's also wants to turn up to training early or this year. Yeah, well, that, that was the follow-up is that he's been spotted at training this week. I don't know how informal it is and if he's just, you know, acquainting himself yeah. with the staff and getting used to it. But, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if, you you know, he gets some input from him because uh, – I don't I don't want to disrespect the people who who were the previous assistant coaches, but this is an, an you know a head coach, an experienced uh, assistant coach. He knows what to do, and and it's, he knows how to prepare the team. So like it's another helping hand, and I'm sure everyone knows Brad Arthur's job is secure, and he's not so much worried about Trent Barrett taking his job because I feel as though Trent Barrett has to work. You know, he has to you know work hard for the next two three years maybe. And get another opportunity because right now, you know, his stock is low and he has to recover and he has to show sorry, that's my time. That's he has okay. to show um if he if he deserves another chance to be in the first grade. So that's just one. I am hoping we get another vet for the defensive side. But um other than that, it's it's a good it's a good appointment, you know. Um he he's part of the Penrith system, essentially. You know, he helped Nathan Cleary. Yeah, I was to gonna say he's been he's been credited with helping both Cleary and Luai realise their potential in recent years. So there's plenty to like as an assistant coach. Like I said, he's had a lot of plaudits and was very highly regarded as an assistant. It's just as a head coach, and you see this a lot in the NRL, Jason Taylor comes to mind immediately, a guy that is essentially seen as a one of the top-tier assistant coaches with his time at the Roosters, but couldn't quite make the transition to head coach because there is just so much more on your plate when it comes to man management. So, yeah, I'm pretty keen to see how this plays out. Uh, and like you said, buddy, maybe they could still tack on with a, a senior defensive assistant too. Maybe it could end up being another former head coach, Michael Maguire. Who knows? So the the Eels making some moves, with the coaching staff. I think it's a I think it's a positive one. And yeah, keen to see what he can do with our 
attacking structures with you know not so much in the short term where you might be able to provide some input, but with a full preseason to work within the parameters. You know, and look after all, he's been he's pretty much the top five, one of the top you know top five um, halves in the you know in the past two you know past twenty years essentially. So you know, uh, so he, surely he can bring something to um, Dylan Brown and. Mitchell Moses game, you know, we had uh, Andrew Johns for a while, you know, even during the bubble, but this time, like, just to give him, and you said earlier, like, being a head coach is different, you've got to worry about the cap, you know, you've got to worry about agents, you've got to worry about, like, the majority of it's off-field, this guy, just get him to worry about our offense, so, I keep talking like NFL terms, attack, <laughs> get him to worry about attack, and make it simple for him, and you, you trust me, I, I feel so, the only negative, it's all positives from, in my end, the only negative is... Does he want to be a head coach one day? Does he want to move on if he does well? That's the only negative I can see out of this. Look, worst case scenario, if our attacks go bad, you know, unfortunately we move him. But yeah, and if I can't going, see any negative. If it's going good and he gets a gig elsewhere, that's an entirely different problem. You deal with that when it comes to it. Yeah, so I don't see any negatives. Because maybe to the soft cap, how much is he getting paid? You know, he's going to be, he's going to be taking a massive pay cut from being a head coach. But yeah, that's the only negative I can think of. Can he even look? I know Brad Arthur reached out to him right after he got sacked. Said, "Hey, you know, if you ever change your mind, you want to get back to coaching, let me know." They spoke, and he was blown away by him. So, I like how Brad Arthur pretty much initiated it, and he it was his idea, not as opposed to like Marco O'Neill or the club thinking Brad Arthur needs help because Brad Arthur needs help, and it's good for him to realize he does. Yeah, and I mean, you talked about using American sort of nomenclature for football, but part of that, you know. So the American side is he, I know there's a soft cap in the NRL, but you've got to spend money outside of just the football players, haven't you, Bertie? You know, the best teams have the best football structures when it comes to personnel, when it comes to preparation, and getting someone like Trent Barrett in is a, a positive step, I think. 100%. Right. And, like, like we all know – look, the only assistant coach I know Brad Arthur's had under his tenure was um, David Kidwell, and he was his second – his right-hand man, essentially – and now that he moved on, I'm thinking like, well, who who's he going to look to? Like, like let's be honest. Let's just say we're under pressure in the game. Who does he look to for advice? Who 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 can he bounce ideas off? And I I feel more comfortable having Trent Barrett there. And I'm not disrespecting the people who is right now. It's just he's in that he's been in that pressure environment. He can take a step back. Not as much pressure on him. He can think clearly. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's and it's a positive. And um yeah. I was going to say it's not really Parramatta news, but the round that was was one of the biggest blowouts we've ever seen in terms of the score lines. Uh, just looking over, we talked about the Parramatta Reels, 42 to 6. Normally that's one of the biggest score lines in a given week, but it wasn't even close to it last week. Uh, we go back to the second game of the day, or second game of the round, Cowboys 48 over the Warriors 4, Storm 60 over the Broncos 12, Sharks 40 over the Seagulls 6, then the big one. Roosters 72 over the West Tigers, 6. What is doing there? And that was an intercept try. So yeah, I know. Yeah, it was, it was an absolute gimme from, from James Tedesco at the end for uh, Naden. But then even on Sunday, 46-26, Dragons over Titans, 28-22, Raiders over Knights to keep their hunt for the finals alive. So many points, Bernie. What, what's going on? Have the Mate, it was like the NFL, like the end of the season when everyone's yeah, tanking for draft picks. It, it feels like people were tanking for draft picks, but there is no draft in the NRL. So, it all, pretty much they're all checked out. They're yeah. all in you know the Qantas Lounge it, right now. It feels now. like, yeah, that, that was the breaking point, wasn't it? The straw that broke all these bottom eight teams' backs and they just did not turn up for round 23. I mean, like, you look at the first game of the round, you know, it was a very close game, went down to the last two minutes and then we thought, oh, hang on, this is, this is going to be a good weekend yep. and then all of a sudden, bang, bang, bang. You know, like, it's just... Because it's you, just one of those you look, games. At, you look at these games and some of them are obvious mismatches like the Roosters versus the Tigers. But, you know... Broncos versus Storm, that was two top eight teams with the Broncos looking to try and keep in touch with the top four. 
Sharks. Exactly. So that's that's the biggest surprise. Yeah, like that even was the biggest surprise, hundred percent. Sharks versus Seagulls. Manly were playing for their finals hopes at home with a record over the Sharks at Four Pines or Brookvale, as it's more conventionally known, that stretches back fourteen years. Like the, the Sharks have won four times in their history at Brookvale yeah. and had one of four something years. games or something, yeah. something like that. They're crazy. And yet they didn't turn up because it looks like there are some serious issues at that club, you know, stretching back to the whole uh, pride or inclusion jersey. And then, you know, after that, Dragons Titans, you can understand why that's a high scoring game. Two teams that don't really favor defenses. But yeah, just uh, there was quite a few games in there that it should have been far more competitive on paper and just, wow, you know, the, the big boys put on the big boy pants this week, Melbourne Storm, Cowboys, Eels too, I suppose, Cronulla Sharks and the Sydney Roosters. Yeah, so um, look, <laughs> I think it was like every fan of the team that won, they're pretty much happy this week. <laughs> yeah, like, a lot of content fans on one side and a lot of miserable fans on the others because, geez, if you're a team like the West Tigers and that game culminated with one of their captains, one of their five or six captains, James Tamau giving an absolute gobful to Ben Cummins uh, after a string of calls he felt were incorrect when against the West Tigers. Um, he ended up getting first sin bin and then sent very quickly like a baseball manager trying to get his uh, full value for getting marched. Bernie. Oh, it didn't, it didn't look good and <laughs> no. he admitted it was wrong. Yeah, and he immediately look, admitted it, but geez, the West Tigers, what is doing? See, what, what, what's even, like, I'm not going to say funny, but what's even more rubbing the soul into the wound is Sam Walker went 12 from 12. Like, surely he would get tired of kicking yeah. goals. Yeah, and he's, not, just, even, he's not even a noted sharpshooter. It's just one of those days where the Roosters could do no wrong outside of the James Tedesco. A hundred percent. And it just from one when we versed South the first time and yeah. Latrell's hitting them from the sideline. Yep. I'm like, okay, you've been us well. Why are you trying? Why are you kicking <laughs> the goal perfect? Like, just just pack it in, you know. But and I'm I'm sure there's some other NRL news I'm missing, but I don't think there's anything else Parramatta. Oh, just the grand finals confirmed in Sydney. For yeah, now. true, true. That for one year we've gotten clarity that it's going to remain in Sydney. But the idea of a Super Bowl-style bid still remains a real possibility. So that's going to be an ugly argument when we get to that one in the future. And, yeah, outside of that, I don't think there's anything too significant to talk about, Bertie. Which brings us to, well, I suppose, <laughs> the uh, Melbourne Storm had their big five-player re-signing drive today. And it was just a whole bunch oh. of fringe guys. So that's uh, what looked like a really fun social media exercise for the Storm ended up being a bit of a flop. So <laughs> Look, and... Like, I've got a problem with having Bray Finasta on as NRL 360. Like, he is the manager of Munster. He can manipulate the media or how, like, what story. Well, that, that, whole, that whole segment with the Dolphins and Munster today was just felt like contract manipulation. So, yeah. 100%. And, like, it just shows you. And, like, and he feels like he's probably doing something real well by being honest. Like, oh, I'm going to be an honest manager. Look, some of the, the best managers of the world, they're, they're grubs. They're dodgy. And it just shows you that the ugly side or the the manipulative side of what managers are like mm-hmm. and and like how how it works so look you know and and the good thing is you know Gufferson he did, didn't like to play or you know Moses doesn't like to play a contract saga in the public which is a good sign yeah but this is like and I, and we'll talk it earlier like you it's know it's hard to think of a, of a more public contract saga than the Cameron oh. Munster one because of the nature of Brave being a a, a host and a, a feature you know sort of a personality on Fox Sports it's been crazy and like I was saying, like you don't get rid of who you want. You don't get rid of a halfback unless you got something better. Yeah. The only person I can think is probably better than Moses, and it's probably Munster. Munster's, you know, he's won premierships. He plays for Australia. So if I'm, a, it's the only reason I will get rid of Moses is to get Munster. And even then, you look what happened twelve months ago or the last off season. You know, he's cokehead essentially. Mm-hmm. So like, it's just it doesn't look good. And I feel as though Brave needs to step away or don't talk about Munster yeah, because exactly. it's just it's doing more harm than good. Exactly. 
Now we'll wrap up the news there. Birdie and Power into the previews. Got a couple of final regular season games in the Jersey Flag in the New South Wales Cup. So let's start there. Uh, out at Saturday, or at Saturday, on Saturday, out at Kellyville Park, Parramatta Eels are hosting the Newcastle Knights. It's 9v2 on the ladder. Newcastle, one of the premier teams in the Jersey Flag this year. They're being very, very good. For the Eels, one last chance to add a, I wouldn't say a silver lining, but you know a bit of respect to the season with a, either a good win or just a good performance in general against one of the best teams in the competition. They look like this with Dantori Louis at fullback, Arthur Miller Stephen and Moala Graham Taufa on the wings. Corey Fenning will captain the team from centre. And he's scheduled to partner Samuel Louise on the centres, but Sam's also been named in the New South Wales Cup, so we expect a change there. In the front oh, sorry, in the halves, you've got Mac Puafisi and Ethan Sanders. Front row now, Peter Tateo, Jonte Jr., Beth and Mesa. Kruj Schmidt is a dummy half. On the edges, it's Ryan Jones and Felix Natili Schmidt. Brock Parker at lock. On the bench, Jacob Davis, he's a dummy half utility. Saxon Pryke, Larry Moaga Tutia, and Jack Colavati add some beef to the forward pack. Marcus Atoa is the 18th man. Yeah, not much to play for here, Bertie, except for Pride. But they've been a lot better in the back half of the season, had a bit more roster consistency, and have seen more consistent results on the field as a result. They haven't been dominant winning every game by any means, but they've been vastly improved, unfortunately. Too little, too late. Um, not much else to talk about there. So let's keep moving on to the next game, which takes us to Kellyville Park once again. But this one's at Friday or on Friday at seven seven o'clock. Yeah, seven o'clock p.m. in the evening. So it's a, under the Friday night lights. Second time I think they've done that this year in the New South Wales Cup. You don't see that too often, but they're getting some prime time slots there. They're also taking on the Newcastle Knights. Uh, this is five v ten on the ladder. So one of those ones that on paper the Eels should win and they need to win. Because the two scenarios for them to make the finals birdie are they win and they're immediately in. There's nothing else to worry about. It's that simple, win and you're in. But if they lose, they've got the Canberra Raiders on their heels and that requires the Canberra Raiders to lose to the Blacktown Workers Seagulls who, while the Knights are having a bad season at 10th, mainly are the worst team in the competition at 12th. So to expect the Raiders to drop that game at home is a bit of a stretch. So Eels need to take care of business and to do that, they shape up like this. Hayes Perham's fullback, Samuel Luizu on one wing with Sean Russell on the other. Bowie Simonson and Zach Senior in the centres. Jack A. Williams returns this week to partner captain coach Jordan Rankin in the halves. Jake Arthur's been given the bump up the first grade. We'll talk about that there because there's some interesting circumstances behind that. Uh, in the front row, it's Offerkey Ogden and Kai Rodwell, who returns from either injury or suspension last week. I'm not sure. But Mitch Rain's a dummy half. Back rowers, Ellie Elsgehem and Tony Matelli. Bryce Cartwright is the lock forward. He comes down from reserve grade, but probably not for the reason that we'd think initially. On the bench, Brendan Hands, Tavita Talmapenu, Dan Keir, and Jaden Yates. Looking at that Newcastle team, not too many players I'd recognize. Heimel Hunt jumps out. Birdie, he's probably the most experienced player in that team. But of note, uh, future Parramatta Eel, he signed for us earlier this year, Jira or Jira Mamasia. He's starting at prop forward. Anyhow, yeah, um... Yeah, I was going to say, any quick, any quick insights for you? We see Ogden drop back to reserve grade this week. Hesse Makatoa called up. Uh, obviously, Bryce Cartwright's there too, but I don't think he's been demoted or anything like that. I think there's something else at play, which we'll talk about in the NRL. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, like, you know, whenever we think of uh, first, especially when reserve grade plays before first grade is, we're trying to think of, oh, on the day, like, we're trying to think of, could, what if there's like a late uh, substitution? I know we're playing in Brisbane, but who would come out by now or Thursday, you know? Like, um, I, look, I feel as though our forwards, we should win and we should take care of it. Like, oh, yeah, on, on paper, this is almost a no contest. Parramatta should it, absolutely it's, do it's the job. It's a banana slip game, a banana peel yep. game. That's yes, what sir. That's my concern about. is that 
everything to play for, win and you're in. You go play finals football the week after. Uh, and the Eels have been pretty good beating up on the, like the lesser teams in this competition this year. But the fact that it's the last game of the year, Friday night, at a time slot that the reserve grade doesn't usually play, it's always little things, right? And I'm just, you got that little nagging voice in the back of your head saying, but what if they don't win? What if they butcher this? But um, I'm backing the boys to get the job done, Bertie. I think that there's see, enough. Well, see, one thing I was hoping to see was maybe, you know, move Hay, sorry, move Hayes to center, Bailey to wing, and move Russell to fullback, give him a bit of ball because. Yeah, we've been talking go- about that one because he's, you know, so impactful in the game. And it's, I hope that, you know, across the preseason, if he's not the NRL first choice right winger, he gets to play fullback in Reggie's next year. Yeah, because just going into the into the off season, oh sorry, the postseason. Like if something does happen to one of our backs, knock on wood, um, I feel as though the club are probably leaning towards Hayes a bit. But I feel as though Sean can bring that speed. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like an X factor. Like he, he's pretty much um, like a Pappenhausen to a degree that stays healthy. He's got that speed. He looks bit. He looks bigger this year. It's like as yeah, if he's he, bulked he's up. De- he's definitely growing into that frame. The the yeah. I suppose the only knock I say knock. It's more of a question mark on Russell as a fullback is how much can he talk because as you know. Fullbacks never shut up. They're constantly organising the defensive line. They're constantly, you know, telling their wingers where they need to be, where the play is going to go. You got to back up through the middle on one play and then be in enough position to be the link man on another. So that'll be the challenge for Russell if he's going to become the fullback long term for the Parramatta Eels, or at least challenge for that role uh, in regards to success of the Quinton Gufferson. But I look forward to hopefully you know him starting to feature in that capacity across the preseason. But yeah, the the equation simple here, Bertie. Win and you're in. That's all the Eels need to worry about. Take care of your business and you're playing sudden death football. Yep, 100%. Which then takes us to the last game chronologically of the week on Sunday as the Eels in the NRLW have the home game at Combank Stadium without the NRL playing. Uh, they're taking on the St. George Laura Dragons, which we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Another tough assignment for our girls, uh, but they're looking to come out of that loss to the Roosters and you know make something of it. Uh, Coach Dean Witters has made a few changes this week in the back line, in the halves, and on the bench respectively. So let's go through the team quickly. Gal Broughton is still the fullback. First change this week, Zali Faye comes onto the wing, which um, sort of leads to a bit of a reshuffle. She replaces uh, Abby Church, who was playing centres. So Rakia Horn goes from wing to centre this week, uh, where she'll partner Tiana Panatani as the other centre. Tess Staines holds down the other wing. Then we move into the halves where the second change is. Lasana Lutu was still the halfback, but she's going to partner Taylor Preston, who I believe played for the... Prime Minister's first team back in 2019, I want to say, but as far as I can tell, hasn't made her NRLW debut yet. So cool little moment for her as she comes into the team starting at 5'8". It's going to be a lot of pressure on her to, to get that partnership with Lutu working immediately, but excited to see what she can do. Unchanged starting forward pack birdie, which means Philomena Hanisi and Ellie Johnston are the bookends. Sally Malangi is the dummy half. Christian Pio, Vanessa Foliaki are on the edges. Smyma Taufa will co-captain the team from lock forward on the bench. Kennedy Charrington, Brooke Anderson, and Nevada George. That's unchanged from the team against the Roosters. Big change here, though. Historic moment for the club. Ruby Jean Kennard, named to make her name to make her debut. Sorry, in the NRLW. I say historic because Ruby is the first ever pipeline prospect for the Eels to come through from the very bottom, from the the talent squads and the Tasha Gale right through the NRLW. So she is born and bred, blue and gold in terms of footy. So very, very cool moment there. Historic one for the club. Hopefully the first of many to come. Extended roster, Ruben Charrington, Abby Church, Cassie Tohihiku, Ashley Quinlan, Louisa Yaranamua, Rima Butler, and Brooke Morgan Walker. They're taking on the St. George Laura Dragons. And I just look at this team, you can immediately spot 
a stack of stars. Emma Tonegato, one of the best fullbacks going around. Tegan Berry is an absolute speedster on the wings. Talia Fulmano was one of the breakout playmakers in the delayed 2021 NRLW season. Uh, Elsie Albert and Tegan Dimmick are very strong bookends. Kezi Apps, one of the most famous names in the NRLW. And then on the bench, Quincy Dodd is a real menace as an interchange dummy half. She causes a lot of uh, sort of, uh, I was going to say drama, but that's probably the right word, a lot of damage coming off and running around the ruck from dummy half, Betty. Yeah, no, look, I've, I, don't, I'm not, I don't know many uh, of the women. I, I just remember uh, you guys mentioned Ruby John Carnard a lot during Tasha Gowers and saying she's pretty much, you know, she, she's a very good prospect. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I feel as though um, we need more size on the bench or we need more fours on the bench. Yeah. I, I just feel as though just try and manipulate, because we've got uh, Kennedy, Cherrington on, Kennedy Cherrington on the bench. You know, she's a decent, uh, decent forward as well. So um, other than that... Look, I'm just, look, I don't know nothing about St. George. I know there's a few, like, Kizzy Apps and, you know, Fu Maono. But uh, Tono Gata, I didn't know much about her till last week. And apparently uh, she's like a, a gun rugby seven. So yeah, we've got, you know, yeah, two so rugby she, sevens she in the back She actually has some history with some of our players. She played with them. I think Brooke Morgan Walker, maybe, was it Taylor Preston as well? She's she's uh, had played with some of our girls going back to, like, you know, mid, uh, mid-late 2010s. So, yeah, some tied history there. But she was very good in the 2021 season and has you know, hit the ground running this year, looking to be one of the most dangerous players from fullback in the competition. Yeah, so I think the they're going to be tough to beat. There's you know, no need to try and sugarcoat this. But for our girls, you know, attitude is going to be key. Line speed, which is driven by attitude. You know, First up collisions, again, driven by attitude. How much do you want to hit your opponents? How much do you want to dominate a tackle or a run? Those two things, I think, will really settle whether the Eels are in this contest or not. Because I think in terms of the talent, the scoring talent, we've got it there. Gail Broughton, sensational. Tiana Penetani, really strong down that left edge. Like they've got options in the back line. Rekia Horn's a very solid finisher too. Uh, you know, and in the forward pack, they've got some big balls. Or it's not even balls. Big, you know, just powerful forwards. Philomena Hanisi, Ellie Johnston, uh, Christian is a good line runner on the edge there too. And you already mentioned Kennedy, Bertie. So they've got the pieces to do damage, but it's all about attitude in round two. Oh, they're gonna feed, you know, Gail uh, more, you yeah, know, more position. Hundred percent. They need to spotlight her, you know, make you know, make her their key player when it comes to attacking the edges and you know, and also backing up for the middle, creating opportunities with the ruck against tiring forwards. So I want to see Gail be a huge part of the game plan in this game. Kickoffs twelve PM out at Combank Stadium. You should be able to catch this one on. It doesn't say. I imagine this one will be televised. Yeah, Foxtel and KO. Oh, Foxtel and KO. Yeah. yeah. So. You can catch this one because you know getting out to Combank and you know having to pay a ticket because it won't count under the you know, normal membership one would be a bit tough. You can catch this one on TV or KO as well. So make sure to tune in. Which brings us to the main event, which you know is actually the first game kicking off tomorrow night at seven fifty PM up at Suncorp Stadium. The Eels heading interstate to take on the Brisbane Broncos. So much on the line here, Birdie. Uh, when these two teams last met, was it back round sixteen? I want to say or thereabouts. Broncos really handled the Eels really easily. Another one of those soft performances from our forward pack where we just did not set a tone and the Broncos ran right because of it. But since then, the, the two teams have had, I wouldn't say vastly different fortunes, but for the Broncos, it's all been downhill outside of one scrappy win over Newcastle Knights. For the Eels, it's been more of the inconsistencies. You know, good wins here, bad loss there. Good win here or solid win here, and then another bad loss. So the question is, on this game, which team's going to snap the funk first? Hopefully it's the blue and gold, but the Broncos line up like this, and they've had a couple of changes actually in the time that they've posted their team lists. 
They originally lined up like this. At fullback is Tamari Martin, Corey Oates and Selwyn Cobbo were named on the wings of Katoni Staggs and Brinkley in the centres. But since then, Selwyn Cobbo has been uh, officially not dropped but rested. So he's not playing football. He's just been rested. Uh, and they're going to have, from the extended bench, Jordan Pereira coming into the team. In the halves, Ezra Mam and Adam Reynolds. Front row, Thomas Flegler, Jake Turpin and Payne Haas. Back row, Kurt Capewell, Jordan Rickey and Ryan James. There was a bit of a question mark over Kurt Capewell coming out of that loss to the Melbourne Storm, but clearly he's passed the fitness test at the captain's run. On the interchange, Billy Walters, Kobe Heffington, Corey Jensen and Reese Kennedy. Now, one of those players, I believe, is making way for Zach Hoskin or Keenan Palacio, and I think it might be Reese Kennedy, but that extended roster, Delois Hoyter, Jordan Pereira, Tyson Gamble, Keenan Palacio, Zach Hosking. Obviously, Pereira's already into the starting team, and maybe one or both of Palacio or Hosking also on the mix. Anything to look out for there, Birdie? Look, Last last time we play, I'm I'm just gonna put a you know write it off because they it was the luckiest performance I ever seen in terms of they were getting set after set like that, we're talking charge down that first we're talking try with the deflection that went straight to Brinko Lee who then broke, oh, broke Guffo's ankles with a shonky kick oh my yeah goodness. like it was like sorry hang on, sorry I got I'm do, I'm drafting fantasy at the time so <laughs> went off. Um, yeah, that's serious business though yeah uh, like I'm just talking about like we went a legit 15 minutes we didn't touch the ball. And that just like, and I say like every now and then, like you can't lose it. You can't win a game of football in the first twenty minutes, but you can lose it. Like mm-hmm. we start with an easy try to Sivo. They score a fluky try. They kept getting the ball from like deflections, and it just seemed like on fifth they'll kick it. Like I remember one kick, they kicked it to us. Dylan Brown catches it. He somehow knocks it on. Ezra Man picks it up. All right, that's another set reset. Whatever. They pass it backwards, offloader. We we touch it. Like they just got every type of like deflection, bounce the ball, and even. Um, uh, Kevin Waddle said, uh, we got very lucky today. <laughs> so I feel as though, and like even the first try in the second half, I like kick it to Wonga, he knocks it on, they score straight away. Like, just, we know the, the Broncos, they play sort of like a boring game of football where they try to complete high and just pretty much, you know, bore us to death. So if we can just keep up, I know we had 14 errors in the weekend, if we, and that was that was on a dry track. So if we can keep our errors down to like eight, like I'm going to say eight. I'm not going to be unrealistic and say like, you know, four or five. If we keep it down to eight, and go set for that. Don't give them easy possessions with, uh, you know, kicking it dead or set resets. I feel as though we should, you know, grind them into dust and our forwards should take over. They're missing Carrigan, who was instrumental against them, against us last mm-hmm. time. You know, Payne Haas just came back from a, um, a, he had a bung shoulder. He scored, you know, a pretty, you know, soft try. I just feel as though if they turn up last week and take it personal, make it personal to forwards. Now, if Murata makes it personal, Payne Haas, you know, embarrassed us. I feel as though, you know, we'll follow and uh, the whole team will follow and we'll get the dub. And if the Parramatta are to get that dub, this is the team that will do it. At fullback, Quinton Gufferson, wingers, Mike Acevo, Wanga Blake, Will Penasini and Tom Opacic round out an unchanged back line. Likewise, unchanged halves, but that's no surprise there. Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, outstanding pairing there. Front row, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, Reid Money, Junior Barlow. Back row, Sean Lane, Isai Papali'i, Ryan Madison. Do watch out for that little switcher with Ryan Madison and Maradani Akori again, I reckon, Bertie. I think that configuration works so well with Madison coming off the bench. Speaking of, Makessi, Makatoa, and Jake Arthur, we already mentioned them from the New South Wales Cup preview, but they're come back in, they've come back into first grade uh, where they'll join Oregon Kafusi and temporarily or provisionally Murata Niakori on the bench, but quite possibly Ryan Madison. Extend the roster, Ofiki Ogden, Bailey Simonson, Bryce Cartwright, Sean Russell, and Kai Rodwell. Pretty much the same team that handled the Bulldogs, except for those two players on the bench. Makessi, Makatoa for Ofiki Ogden, that's a straightforward swap. No surprises there in terms of, you know, trying to get 
rotation for the the big men there. The one that will you know sort of raise your eyebrows or get the tongues wagging is Jake Arthur. There's two fronts on this. The first, my initial feeling was maybe it was coverage from Mitchell Moses. They weren't sure or hoping they they could get him out of the game a little bit early against the Broncos maybe, and this one to half on the bench. But uh, one of our compatriots pointed out to us that Bryce Cartwright's actually got a court summons tomorrow on Sydney, so he can't uh, be he can't be in Sydney at the same time as he needs to be in Brisbane for the game, which actually makes sense as to why he's like I say dropped why he's not in the team. So there's uh, nothing too nefarious going on there in terms of rotation policies or guys getting dropped and they shouldn't be dropped. I think it's just an, an unfortunate clash of the real world outside of rugby league and uh, the Parramatta Eels finals push. I call it BS. It's exactly the same as Michael Jennings supposedly couldn't play it on the finals day. Like you could have done it any other time. I just find it's a bit, it's a bit coincidental that, and look, he's not a big player, big name player for us, but Really? Like, have you, have you ever seen this happen? Like, where we have bad luck? Uh, we can't, nothing we can control out of our hands. Eels, the Eels certainly find a way, don't they, Bertie, to have the most interesting bad luck you'll see. But having said that, 17 players named the play should be enough to get the job done. The Brisbane Broncos, good team on paper, but they are struggling right now, coming off an almighty hiding at the hands of the Melbourne Storm. Yes, the bounce back factor is in play here, but the Eels have usually matched up pretty well against the Broncos, and you've got to think, you've got to hope. You know, at some point, the Eels are going to convert a good win against one team into a, a legitimate, you know, good win or two in a row. And, you know, given that the finals are just three weeks away and the Eels are still playing for a top four spot, a win here, Roosters win over the Melbourne Storm, sets up a top, like an actual top four winner takes all game against Melbourne Storm next week. So, goodness knows they've got so much to play for here. You want to see them hungry. You want to see him fired up. You want to see him chasing that collision from the opening kickoff. And honestly, like we, we talk about just taking any win or a good win. Again, go out there and make a statement. Go out there and kick some asses. You know, take the names, knock them on their backside, and dominate this game. Yeah, look, I'm not asking us to flog them like last week, like last week against Warlocks. Just get the win. Don't prove to us that we or prove to the fans that heading into the final series, we have got our, you know, our shit together essentially, or we even, you know, remotely look like it like just don't look like a basket case mm-hmm. i want to see physicality we could win you know six nil you know seven six we can even lose as long as you bring your physicality and just give it all like like exactly like last week i'm okay with that now you know, saying that you know I what, still I, I, i'm going on the record no more losing this year let's let's win it all I, no I, I, i've been saying all year i don't care how many times they lose just give me four give me your four best games in the final series that's true all that. i want true that and and all will be forget all will be forgotten literally if we oh, if we oh, give yeah. us it, our four best if, if you're, you're no joke buddy if we go on to win it all and you know whether it's from the bottom the bottom four or top four of a top eight you go through and win those three or four games required and suddenly the the, the outlook and the complexion of the season changes completely you know the the eels. Yeah, they struggled through the mid season, but what about how how well they timed their run? You know that that's what it was all about. They timed their run. So this is it, mate. This is this is the time to get that run going. Time to like I said, kick some ass. You know, go out there and be physical, dominate. That's what this team is built to do. You know, the, the, some of the best middle forwards in the competition, some dynamic halves, and some good outside backs. That recipe, you know, it is so good, but it's predicated on going out there and wanting to win those collisions. So. In light of that, let's put our cards on the table. First try scorer, margin of victory, anything else you want to call out as well? Oh, this week I'm going to go with, um, I feel as though Opechurch might get, you know, get a dub. I'll get a first try. I feel as though the Queen, he's back home in Queensland. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a good record over there. Um, I, just, I don't know. Just I usually pick Will every week. He scores, ironically, the first try last week. 
Um, but yeah, I feel as though Tom will score the first try. Uh, again, once again, Mitchell Moses, his kicking game will be the difference. I feel as though um, Adam Reynolds sort of pipped him last time with his kicking game. And I feel as though Moses, um, and I've been saying it all year, kick, to, kick for Dylan. Because, you know, we scored two tries off those two kicks for last week. And Could have been three as well. There was just oh, like for the third one. Oh, yeah. So just the, the, the key to this game will be Moses kicking and whether or not... Um, you know, like our team can pretty much put pressure on the Bulldogs. I feel yep. so the Bulldogs, so the Broncos. We have to pressure, and I said last time we played them, we have to pressure Reynolds. He doesn't like getting tackled. No one likes getting tackled. But before before we reversed him, he was getting hit a couple times late. You know, there was a game where Tarek Simpson literally made a personal against him. You know, make it make sure he's an old man. Make him get up every after every time he kicks it. You know, um, in saying that, I feel as though we'll win. You know, twenty four twelve. Uh, I feel as though our bench is the difference. You know. If if Fleg- if Flegler was on the bench, you know, um, it'd be a different story. But they're pretty much they, they put all their pre- all their they're all chips in in terms of their starting thirteen, mm-hmm. and their bench is pretty much you know Heverington, Palacia, Hosking. Hosking's a gun apparently, but other than that, I feel as our bench can take care of them. Um, it'll be interesting interesting to see who gets the Bryce Cartwright's minutes in terms of coming on early. You know, um, Drew. Do you, do you do you think um, Brad Arthur might start with Murata this week again, or I think he will. And that's why my sneaky tip for first try scorer is Marada. He's done it before against the Brisbane Broncos, gotten first try scorer playing lock forward. And that's why I'm going to go have a little, well, I'm not going to have a flutter on in actual real life, but that's why I'm having a hypothetical flutter on. In terms of the overall margin, Bertie, I'm going to go for a 26 to 8 win over the, over the Broncos. Just a good, solid win, you know, really controlling the game. Uh, you know, in terms of the best players, well, Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown are obviously going to be big in any sort of scoreline like that. But I, Given that the rest of the pack were really good against Canterbury and, and this guy was decent but not you know not bad but just decent, I want Junior to come out this week and, and really set the tone. So he's my buy of the watch. And I think that'll wrap up another big podcast, mate. Just the two of us. We still went for just about an hour. Good job, mate. You stepped up into the co-host role and killed it. No, God, now I know how um how old Brad Offer's assistant coaches feel, man. I was under pressure. Legit. Uh, yeah, hope you, you guys enjoyed the podcast. And next week we hope to have a full – Ensemble cast with both the um, Hamishers back with uh, obviously the big boss Hamish here and also Ham. Hopefully breaking down a big win against the Brisbane Broncos. Until I will then. say before we go, mm-hmm. uh, it'll be it'll be good from the club if if the f- first grades can pretty much turn up on Sunday and watch the women play. Mm. Yeah, if I can get, so like given they're playing on a Thursday, it'd be good to show some support on the Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, because I know uh, we've been copying a lot of heat lately that we don't, you know, appreciate our fans, go to the fans after the game. Apparently, last game, you know, all the players did, they spent plenty of time. So, like, you know, just showing some support to the to the women's club, you know, gives them a bit of, like, extra, you know, confidence and motivation because we're going to need it. You know, Dragons are no, no easy beats, and I feel as though we're, we're a bit vulnerable at the moment, our women's team, and, you know, any, any confidence from the club would be a massive uh, help for them. Yes, sir. On that, right, let's, uh, on that, let's wrap it up. Catch you guys in the next episode next week. All right, have a good one.